and codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 350 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded live on Tuesday, January 16th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, January 19th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. And in the recording studio is our audio engineer... Winters. Howdy, folks. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we're trekking out the new Discovery-themed ship models from Eagle Moss, more rumors of a Viacom and CBS merger, and we're asking whether Star Trek still follows traditional storytelling. In Star Trek Online news, the 8th anniversary event is upon us, and we're walking you through some of the goodies that you can get this year. Later, Dr. Hurt is here with another report from the Astrometrics Lab. In On Screen, we're discussing the big stuff from Discovery's 11th episode, The Wolf Inside. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where I talk about our patrons and those of you that support us from month to month over on Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Because of your support, Priority One keeps the lights on. We're able to upgrade equipment. We're able to improve on the quality of the show and content that you receive from week to week. Now, we understand, of course, that you may not always be able to make a financial contribution, so there are other ways that you can support the show. For instance, give us a like on one of our Facebook videos or share it with your friends. Invite them to get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news and analysis of Star Trek Online and other Star Trek games right here on Priority One Podcast. Now, speaking of Patreon, we are only $111 shy of our monthly financial goals. Thanks to new patrons like Joshua, Adam, Diana, Starkicker, and Sacha, we've been able to get closer to our goals. Now, Captains, remember, you don't have to contribute anything like $10 or $5. You can contribute as little as $1 a month. Now imagine, if 111 of you contributed just $1 a month, we'd hit our goals. So please consider visiting us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one to find out all the perks that we offer to our patrons. And as always, Captains, we are grateful for your ongoing support. Captains, have you ever thought about working with Priority One? Now's your chance. It takes a lot of time and work to compile and edit the show each week, and our dedicated team is stretched a wee bit thin. If you've got experience with audio editing and can spare an hour or two a week, we could use your help. If you're interested, we've got a handy form on our website, or just email us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's drink it out. During the 2016 New York City Comic Con event, I was on site and had a first look at the prototype ship models for Eagle Moss's Shenzo and Discovery. Now, earlier this month, Eagle Moss announced several new additions to the series, with a first look at 10 new renders of ships from the series. In addition to the Shenzo and Discovery, there are five new Federation and five new Klingon ships, most of which were seen during the battle at the Binary Stars, the first two episodes of Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access. Now, one ship that is clearly missing from the series is the Sarcophagus ship, Takuvma's ship. But friend of the show, Ben Robinson, who works with Eagle Moss, tweeted back in November that in order to do the ship justice, it would need to be larger. And to be fair, a bunch of little coffins would be hard at a small scale, right? I would imagine. I would never call it a foregone conclusion with Eagle Moss, because if they want to make it happen, it'll happen. Yeah, I think with the sarcophagus ship, it pro- 
a miniature model isn't going to do it justice. It's going to have to be one of the more larger ones. Absolutely. Yeah. The detail on that, because each sarcophagus, because each the, the, the ship is covered in coffins, right? So you, it, you're going to want to print that at a detail that, that does it justice in some way, shape, or form. And they do not. Yeah. They, like Kenneth said, they don't mess around. Now, one thing I want to know is, uh, does the Discovery saucer section spin around? Which I, I, I think it probably doesn't, because that's a level of complexity to the model. But man, that would be cool. I would, I would want it if it, if it did. I mean, I want it anyway. But like, I really, really want it if it, if it would spin around. And you could double as a pizza cutter. If they could make that happen, that would be brilliant. It, it might be a step too far oh, for Eagle Moss. I don't think that's really their thing. But... I would love it if they if they could make that part moving. The prototype did not spin, but the detail was really impressive because, for instance, there's a, a part of the nacelle. Warp coils. Yes, the warp coils. You can shine a light through that, and you'll see through it. There's It's a plastic. It's a not cheap plastic. It's a nice detail plastic where you can shine a light, and you'll see through the ship. If you follow us on Twitter, go back to October, and you'll see the level of detail that, that, that they've put into the ship. But anyway, check that out over at eaglemoss.com. We'll have links, of course, in the show notes. Let us know if you sign up for them. Well, in the past, we've tried to wrap our heads around how Star Trek is really managed. Now, it's fair to say that CBS owns the right to TV, while Paramount owns the rights to films. Now, this has seemingly been a detrimental handling of the franchise, with each one clamoring to profit from the Star Trek name. Well, it seems that the Wrap.com got access to some insider information that parent company National Amusements is interested in merging Viacom, or Paramount in this case, and CBS after 10 years apart. Quote, CBS chairman Les Moonves, who has long resisted talk of recombining the companies, is now open to the possibility, the insider said. He would be the most likely person to run the merged companies, though Redstone is considering other candidates, according to two insiders, end quote. According to the article, this is a reactionary response from Viacom and CBS Vice Chairwoman Sherry Redstone in the face of a changing entertainment industry where Hollywood and large-budget films are beginning to struggle against on-demand programming. Now, this is not the first time that we've heard of a Viacom and CBS potential merger, is it? This is this. I'm sure this happened last year. I'm certain. And the year before that and the year before that. They keep talking about this potential merger. At first, it was a back and forth with Sherry Redstone, with, I believe, her father still expressing serious interest in merging the two companies again. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because CBS uh, and their television lineup has been doing well. And again, it, I, it would be a smart move given the industry and where it's headed, right? It's it's. Hollywood is having to compete with television, like like we mentioned, like you mentioned in the article before. I'm not. Uh, this is not. I, I, I'm not surprised that they're talking about this again. Now, from the article, when you go on to read it, it, it sounds like Les Moonves is still, in fact, hesitant about the merger. When you go on to read it, there's a lot of like, oh, she said, he said, she said, back and forth. So again, this is all very speculative, very, very speculative. What I want to say is that. I think this would this could only help Star Trek if it's finally under one umbrella. It really can only help Star Trek. Well, I think that's probably why I feel like I've heard about this a couple of times because anytime anybody in Hollywood gets kind of a whiff of a merger like this, the the Star Trek fandom just jumps on it because we all want to see the films and the television shows uh, back under one roof. I, I think we all pretty much want to do that. Now, I you know we say that, but. I think that w once it were to happen, there would probably be some headbutting going around. There would be some conflict because you've already have an established product with JJ over on, on Paramount and then CBS has Discovery. So I think that there's going to be some significant conflict with the Star Trek franchise in the first few years, possibly, given the nature of how things have split. Although, here's here's my... Here's my way left field prediction, because the talk was that if, if they do a, a Tarantino film, that would actually uh, re-merge the two timelines. So we'll do that. So Paramount hits that, then they merge, and then we'll all be back in the Prime Universe, and 
It'll that be would great. be epic. That's a good. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Well, I'll meet up for a party on Ryza. Captains, if you've ever fancied yourself as a Star Trek author, perhaps it's time to get yourself to Seattle's Museum of Pop Culture to try your hand at their random episode generator. Now, the Star Trek Exploring New Worlds exhibit is not new. It's been in residence at the museum for over a year and a half, and it's recently been extended through the end of May 2018. An article this week on niche website, The Writing Cooperative, highlights how a simple attraction at the end of the exhibit, which aims to have you create your own Star Trek episode, is really a masterclass in creating compelling stories. A wall-sized interactive display walks the viewer through several steps of creating an episode, setting the protagonist, the antagonist, the conflict, the action, the reversal, the second action, and the lesson. Rollers allow you to select from several options at each step. The author of the writing cooperative story, Justin Cox, says, quote, This random episode generator works like a mad lib for Star Trek, but the lessons are still valid. These are fundamental story elements. Learning the pieces allows you to pull them out of the toolbox and break them when necessary. End quote. There's a good breakdown in the article of how each of the elements work, if you're interested in reading further. But the question is, does Star Trek still follow that formula? See, I, I think it's really interesting to, to look at this in the context of the current discovery, because... I definitely think that in the original series and Star Trek The Next Generation, they definitely did follow roughly this formula. There's a protagonist, some kind of antagonist, a conflict, there's something happens and then something sets them back, then it happened, something else happens and then they get a resolution and a lesson. So if you listen to, to Mission Log, it's the, the messages, morals and meanings. But as you're sort of progressing through the different series of Star Trek, it kind of is starting to lose that formula. And I definitely think it's worth thinking about with Discovery, because I wouldn't say for a given episode that that happens nowadays. I think if we get to the end of the series and take a step back, we could possibly generalize it. But certainly where this exhibit um, has, a, has a very relevant you know, random episode generator. I'm not sure that it's relevant anymore to the way we tell Star Trek stories today. It's, I, I agree. I don't think it is either. It, it's funny because I've been, I usually go to sleep watching The Next Generation. And as I'm watching, there are, there are some episodes more than others where I think to myself, oh my gosh, this could be an entire season's arc. Right, and I and I'm I maybe I'm a little more hypersensitive to that now because of Discovery, because with TNG, most of Deep Space Nine, and and previous most previous incarnations of Star Trek, the story there was a, a beginning, middle, and end, and the ship, as we've said before, ends up where it started. I am. This is exciting. You know how you know where this is could be really exciting is in something like Star Trek Online's Foundry. Right, because those missions really need a beginning, middle, and end in most cases. You don't re really want a cliffhanger. You you don't want a story arc unless you're Tony Hunter and his <laughs> and his arc. Um, yeah. You can't remember what it's called, can you? I, no, I can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be so mad when he gets back. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. But, yeah, no, it's, it's just interesting. It's interesting. I, 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 I encourage you to watch older episodes of Star Trek and try to, you know what the challenge should be. That's really what it should be, is that the challenge should be watching an older episode of Star Trek and then making a prolonged story arc. Now, Star Trek Online does do this. That they do, right? Because an entire season will be an arc built off of one or two episodes from TNG, right? Like, let's, like the Iconians, for instance, you know? So Star Trek Online does do this. I think that should be the challenge. Pick your favorite episode of... TNG, and why would you like to see that be a season arc? I mean, it gets a little more complicated like than that. And one of the things that I loved about his uh, Justin Cox, the author of this, of this um, sort of commentary article, one of the, the things that I loved about what he said at the end of the article was where he said that learning the pieces allows you to pull them out of the toolbox and break them when necessary. And uh, I, I think that Star Trek probably does that a little bit of the time. But on the whole, 
it's actually totally relatable. It's you know more or less what to expect until we get to discovery. Uh, and discovery is just you really uh, sort of throwing out all the rules for me. And uh, it was it was interesting to see the contrast between that traditional storytelling and, and, and what we're currently seeing. So that brings us to a really good community question. What episode of The Next Generation, say, do you think is strong enough to be an entire story arc on its own? This past Monday, the United States celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It would be an understatement and a disservice to try and encapsulate this man's accomplishments in this short podcast. What we can share is a reminder and brief story about how he helped save Star Trek. You see, at her heart, Nichelle Nichols was a stage performer. After the first season of the original series, she told Gene Roddenberry that she no longer wanted to be part of the show, that she wanted to pursue an opportunity to perform on Broadway. Gene told her to think about it over the weekend. Coincidentally, Nichelle would be in attendance of a fundraiser event that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was also attending. After confessing to Dr. King that she was preparing to leave the series, he reminded her how important her role on that fictional bridge was. It was the only show he let his children stay up late to watch. It was a show where a woman of color held a command position on the bridge of a naval ship. She was an inspiration. She couldn't leave. And the rest, as they say, is history. Well, Captains, that wraps up this week's roundup of Star Trek news. Now let's find out what's going on in gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, believe it or not, Star Trek Online is beginning to celebrate its eighth anniversary. That's right, Captains. For eight years now, we've been able to log in and live at our fantasies of commanding our own starships and being a part of the Star Trek mythos. In celebration, Cryptic has begun giving away special gifts to players. Between January 15th and January 23rd, players can claim a free item in the game. Each day the item changes, and for an update, you can visit the blog post in our show notes for that day's prize. Speaking of prizes and games, the Omega Molecule Stabilization Game is back. (laughs) When you accept the daily mission from Q, you'll head to three zones where you must stabilize the Omega Particle. In order to receive the daily rewards, Q doesn't care how many points you score. However, if you want to grab some special Omega upgrade kits, you'll want to score as highly as possible. As in previous years, you'll also be able to play the Party Patrol, where you'll run around Starfleet and Klingon Academy to catch tiny versions of Q. You'll earn rewards like Dilithium Ore and Marks. Of course, the anniversary wouldn't be complete without a new Party Popper. Completing the Omega Molecule Stabilization event will get you that new popper. And lastly, they're introducing several new emotes into the game. In addition to prizes, a new featured episode titled Scylla and Charybdis will be landing during the anniversary event. The Zenkethi have grown more ruthless, and it's up to a joint task force led by General Martok, Captain LaForge, and Kumarke to stop the genocidal foe. It sounds like they're bringing back a lot of familiar voices into this new featured episode. Now, it should be noted that upon release, Captains Level 10 and up will have access to the mission. Then it will go back to its normal place in the mission journal progression. Speaking of the featured episode, the first time you run it, you'll earn 400 prize vouchers towards the new Denorios-class Bajoran Tier 6 Interceptor. You'll need to earn an additional 600 anniversary vouchers for a grand total of 1,000 by playing the dailies from Q. The ship comes equipped with some interesting consoles and abilities, like the Universal Domino Console, which boosts phaser damage, accuracy rating, and other performance improvements. The Starship trait you can earn is Harrying Maneuvers, that will grant a major increase to accuracy ratings with bonuses to shield and armor penetration. You'll also have the chance to knock out an enemy's subsystems at random once per second. They're also introducing an experimental weapon called Voice of the Prophets, which can be upgraded like any other standard weapon. It can be swapped out for another experimental weapon or put in the experimental weapon slot of any other ship. Now, it's unclear what exactly the Voice of the Prophets does. The blog doesn't go into great detail, but we assume that it's recordings of us here on Priority One singing. Yep. (laughs) Pretty sure that's what it is. (laughs) 
<laughs> Lastly, the ship will also come with a warp or singularity core that will be a part of a set bonus when combined with items earned during the new featured episode, Scylla and Charybdis. And that brings us to our community question for this week. What part of the 8th anniversary event in Star Trek Online are you most looking forward to? Is it the Omega minigame, the party popper, or maybe the new ship? Let us know. And now it's time for another one of Winters' top tips. In an effort to lend a hand to new players, or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. We all remember how much fun it was when we started playing Star Trek Online and we were forced to travel at Warp 5. Well, this week's top tip is a handy little trick that can be used to shorten the travel time from the Beta Quadrant to Deep Space Nine located in the Alpha Quadrant. This tip will obviously be very useful for new players to the game, but also for veterans if your transwarp is on cooldown or you are locked out from using it. So let's say that you are somewhere in the Beta Quadrant, it doesn't matter where, and as we have already said, you're making your way to the Alpha Quadrant and ultimately to Deep Space Nine. Well. When setting your course in the Beta Quadrant, to the left-hand side of the map, select either the crossover point from the Orion Sector to the Draylon Sector, or the Rises Sector to the Beta Z Sector. Once you have crossed over into the Alpha Quadrant, once again open the map and in the bottom right-hand corner, select Change Instance. From there a pop-up window will appear with a list of available instances, and all you have to do is select one that has room in it and hit Transfer. After you've successfully transferred from one instance to another, you will now find yourself located just outside Bajor. That's it. Changing instance from either the Draylon sector or the Beta Z sector will magically transport you from the far right-hand side of the map to over halfway across the map. From there, you only have to travel about four light years in a northerly direction to reach Deep Space Nine. This can be very useful if you are going to the Asteroid Dilithium Mine or the Fleet Dilithium Mine as they are both in close proximity to Deep Space Nine. For more information we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO350. Well that's it for this week's Star Trek Online news. Now let's head over to the Astrometrics Lab and have another report from our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt. Have you ever thought it would be cool to help discover a planet, or maybe even an entire planetary system? Well, citizen scientists helping out with the Exoplanet Explorers program got a chance to find a new system with five planets, four of which discovered through the watchful eyes of the contributing citizen scientists. The idea behind citizen science projects like this is that despite everything computers bring to the table in being able to find signals in large quantities of data, sometimes it is the human brain and its naturally evolved ability to look for patterns that can actually uncover signals that computers might miss. The Kepler in its K2 mission phase looks for signs of planets orbiting stars by trying to detect faint decreases in the brightness of the star, signaling the presence of a disk passing in front, blocking a little bit of its light. The Exoplanet Explorers program serves up reams of this data to humans who can look through and evaluate and decide whether they think the little wiggles in the light from the star represent an actual transit voting on whether or not they believe it's plausible. Astronomers can take these crowdsourced evaluations of data quality and then see if they have uncovered signals that the computer missed, revealing the presence of planets that had been hitherto undetected. And for the system dubbed K2138, that's exactly what the citizen scientists helped to do. By using their evaluations, astronomers discovered that this system, known to have one planet, actually had five additional planets orbiting closely to their star. In a number of ways, this system is very similar to the TRAPPIST-1 system announced last year with seven Earth-sized planets orbiting very close to their star. In this case, the orbital periods of the planets range from about two and a half days to a little over 12 days. But the planets themselves range in size from about one and a half times the size of the Earth to over three times its size, a size range that astronomers often call sub-Neptunes, being a little smaller than the gas giant Neptune, but significantly larger than a terrestrial rocky world like in our system. 
They also orbit closely enough to their star that they're going to be pretty toasty warm. Not a good place to find liquid water or any kind of life as we know it. Another interesting thing about this system is that all the planets fall into what astronomers would call 3 to 2 orbital resonances. In other words, each planet has an orbital period that's about one and a half times the period of the planet immediately inside. These kind of resonances probably play a role in keeping the orbits stable for having such large planets spaced so closely together. If you'd like to help explore planetary data signals yourself, we'll include a link to the Exoplanet Explorers program in the show notes. As an astrometrics bonus this week, I wanted to point you at a pretty cool video that was just released by colleagues of mine at Hubble's Space Telescope Science Center. This video takes you on a 3D tour of the Orion Nebula, seen both in the visible and infrared parts of the spectrum. The movie is an artistic three-dimensional recreation of what we think the three-dimensional structure of the Orion Nebula would be if we could take the flat images from the Hubble and Spitzer telescopes and stretch it out into the proper three-dimensional structure that we're viewing. While I did consult a little bit on the infrared side of these data sets based on the data from the Spitzer and Herschel missions, I really have to tip my hat to my colleague Dr. Frank Summers and his team for pulling together this amazing animation after several months of very hard work. We'll of course have links to the video in the show notes. That wraps it for the Astrometrics Report this week. Now let's go see what's on screen. On screen. And again, a big thanks to Dr. Robert Hurt for this month's Astrometrics Report. Now, let's check out what's on screen. Episode 11 of Star Trek Discovery is The Wolf Inside. This episode begins with a lengthy voiceover from Michael Burnham, who is finding it difficult to maintain her composure while in command of a Terran ship. She takes solace in her relationship with Ash Tyler, and not much else. The ISS Shenzo is called by the Terran Emperor to eradicate the rebel scum. Sorry, the Firewolf and his followers, leaders of the Alliance against the Empire. Burnham seizes the opportunity to do some good in the Mirror Universe, and she and Lieutenant Tyler beam down to the base, alone. On the base, the Firewolf is revealed to be Mirror Vok. Mirror Sarek is there as an advisor, complete with goatee, and Burnham works to gain Vok's trust and learn the secret of how he allied the races of the galaxy. But Lieutenant Tyler is triggered, literally, by Vox's references to Kalos and attacks him. Burnham, with Mirror Sarek's support, convinces Vox to let them go, and plans to let them escape before destroying the camp as ordered. But Burnham takes too long. Ash Tyler reveals himself to her as Vox and tries to kill her. Mirror Saru saves her life, and she has no choice but to execute Tyler by transporter. At the last minute, she sees an opportunity to get valuable information back to her ship. After being beamed into space, we see Tyler being rescued by Discovery, and a data chip being pulled from his pocket. No sooner is Lieutenant Tyler gone than a mysterious fleet warps in to destroy the rebel base, long before they would have escaped safely. Burnham watches in horror as her plan fails spectacularly, and it's revealed that the mysterious fleet belongs to the Emperor herself. While the action is happening on the ISS Shenzo, Tilly has been busy trying to save Stamets by exposing him to the mycelial network. It works, then doesn't, then works again. In the final scene of the episode, we see Stamets walking in a field of the mycelial fungus and meeting up with a mere universe version of himself, who says it's time to get to work. The end. So compared to last week's episode, I think that it certainly eased my concerns with the direction that they were taking Michael's character. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned last week that I was afraid that they were going, they were really going to give her a Mary Sue treatment with, in, in terms of how her relationship with Ash Tyler would influence her responsibilities as a Starfleet officer. Right. And here we are, there's a, there, the moment, the, the, this very climactic moment happens between the two of them in her room aboard the Shenzo, and he completely switches over to Vok in front of her. And yes, you could see the turmoil in her eyes. You can see that, that it's hard for her to believe it, but she's ready. She's at ready to, to fight him yeah. and to kill him when necessary. She switches in that moment the way 
Dr. Hurt points out that she switches the phaser in the second episode at, at the Battle of Binary Stars on the bridge of the, the, the sarcophagus ship. You know, she was supposed to stun Takuvma, but she doesn't. She kills him yeah. because she's so angry and enraged at the fact that he just killed her captain. Here, we saw a very similar switch with her, Yeah, in my opinion. She was ready. She was ready to cheat. At, at the moment that he became Vok, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure from what I saw in her face, she was no, lo no longer looking at Ash Tyler and instead was looking at, in fact, Vok. Yeah, she knew, and you could kind of feel the horror that she felt and yeah. the, uh, yeah. that sort of inner turmoil, the betrayal and everything else. Um, I'm glad that she hesitated. I liked that little piece of uh, of the character because I think that was uh, that speaks to a softness in her character that I think is really appealing and makes her relatable instead of just you know hardcore Starfleet captain like er. Um, I thought that was a really great scene. Did you see that ebb and flow in her? Like, did you see this? Like, it was that you know obviously in the dialogue she's she's struggling to believe what's happening and she's trying to kind of talk him out of it like no you're just sick but yeah. then there's that moment that she just kind of yeah she knows it's it, she knows he's that it's it's not ash tyler she knows that's not him so kudos to yeah. sonequa martin green and her performance in that scene because i mean you saw a range of emotions in that one scene that was astounding it's just excellent craftsmanship as an actor and as a performer i mean she really she really showed a spectrum of emotion between denial then anger uh, denial hurt anger and then and then resolve i'd agree with everything that you said there but i think um shazad was pretty good as well because there was a clear moment where he one minute he was tyler and then the next minute boom you know, a switch flipped, and he was Vok, and his whole demeanor completely switched. And like, well, for me anyway, I could I could see Vok. You know, it's like as if it was an imprint just put all uh, put over him. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I'm sorry, I have to reference theater again, but there's a production of Jekyll and Hyde where Robert Cuccioli is the actor, and if you listen to the soundtrack, it sounds like two different people. He manages to change his voice so drastically between Jekyll and Hyde that it's very impressive. He won a Tony for it, but the consequence was that he also developed no nodes, vocal nodules for it. But Shazad does also morph himself between these two characters. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it, 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 even when he starts to speak as Valk, it's hard to it's hard to imagine that that was ash tyler this whole time it's not, it, it, you can almost say you can almost uh, assume that it was dubbed but it's not yeah. it's him that's all him yeah you know the accent you know cannot i'm sure it'll make it in the bloopers but you know the, <laughs> they pronounce kalesh you know they, these this it, it, his timbre his placement of his voice everything shifted yeah so and kudos to him so yes you're you're absolutely right michael yeah that was excellent performing from the, from the both of them right. in that scene. And stepping on to the next thing that happened, I thought it was a really great Star Trek leadership moment it, uh, when you can see it in Burnham's face the resolution that she has to kill him that there's no choice here she there's nothing there's nothing she can do to get out of it because he's been caught red-handed and the uh, the regulations are very clear in the Terran Empire that's immediate beaming out into space right um but then she really sells everything that happens afterwards the faint and the i'm gonna do this myself and punching him and facing off with him all of which gets us to her fulfilling her mission mm -hmm. and that in this time where she's like emotional turmoil and the man she loves is not who she thought he was having to order his death um, and still f fulfilling her mission. That's a great sort of Star Trek leadership story that, that I really, really loved. Right, because Saru doesn't take time to be like, you monster, you hurt her feelings. No, he's like, this is, we are still Starfleet yeah. here. He gives that monologue at the end, and they are still going to act like Starfleet, just as Voyager did in the Delta Quadrant. Yep. Can I talk about something that's a little bit lighter for a moment? Uh, so... <laughs> How great was Mirror Sarek's goatee? 
I thought that was such a nice touch. I thought it was just that whole that whole scene I thought was really interestingly played and I'm and I'm hoping that Sarek gets out of that encampment alive and that we see him again mirror Sarek because first of all well I said I love the goatee it was just so cheesy and awesome but um, I loved that when he was stood there explaining to Vok why he trusted Burnham he didn't say why he didn't explain all the stuff that was going on he just described her as an outsider um he said that she can be trusted she's telling the truth but all the stuff that he saw must have been messing with his mind because he saw himself as a father figure to michael burnham caring for her raising her and he knows that it's not real to him. He knows that it's an alternate reality. I, I was expecting a, a more dramatic reaction from Sarek. A, a, an almost... Um, Duty is a Vulcan. No, I know, I know. But 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 <laughs> uh, I, uh, because it, Michael Burnham is carrying his Katra. Yeah. So, which is his soul, right? Yeah. You know, actually, you know how that scene also could have played out? Where Sarek starts talking to Sarek through their through their katra that'd be that'd be that'd be trippy i think that would be down in the bowels of star trek lore i think that would be a bit a step beyond for most viewers i would have thought but yeah. i love the concept i think we'll see him again i think it was left way too like the it was it was i know it was a small moment it was only a couple of minutes but it was left way too open-ended um i think we'll see him again no hang on a what minute we haven't actually talked about stamets at all i i honestly i'm just gonna say it I don't know what to make of the end. I don't at all know what to make of the end when he meets himself in the field of fungi. Because, so here's my thing about the mirror universe so far. I tend to think of the mirror universe as being like, everybody's evil. It, it actually seems a little more muddy than that. I think it seems a little more nuanced because where we've met, for instance, Mirror Sarek is, seems fine. And Mirror Stamets seems kind of the same as normal Stamets, you know, because normal Stamets is kind of a jerk. The mirror universe versions, with maybe the exception of the Emperor, they all kind of seem not like evil versions of themselves. They definitely seem uh, different, having been raised in a very different environment. But um, it's I think that the portrayal of the people in the mirror universe seems more I don't know, nuanced somehow. A little more, almost a little more human. That's it's more reactionary. That their 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 attitudes are more of circumstance than it is of just evil. They're just just goatee people. <laughs> yeah, evil like cartoon goatee people. Yeah, uh, that's what it, it seems like to me. I don't know. Yeah, and you know, I could see that being a commentary to our existing dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. When those in power exercise tyranny and racism and xenophobia, those beneath them feel empowered to do so or just get in line. Yeah. Right? It's not it's not a caricature of villainy, but in, in Discovery, as it has been in depictions past of the mirror universe. Yeah. But in Discovery, like you say, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's very yeah, it is nuanced, right? Like yeah. these people when she when she comes off of the bridge and he's dead connor you know they react to it it's like oh, okay all right now now i have now i have to impress the captain again um you know who i see this with a lot actually the the way you just as you were saying and i was thinking of of her reactions was um her number one deborah. who is her now her number one yeah. deborah right she she doesn't come off as evil she comes off as subordinate and she follows the rules and regulations, yeah, but right, which are kind right. of not very nice. But she, to, in in a kind of a twisted way, she's honorable. She follows it. I mean, I think Burnham's always going to be watching her back a little bit. But <laughs> right, yeah, of course, yeah. But uh, but yes, no, I, I agree with you on her. She stuck out to me. And I have just one little uh, other light thing that I wanted to talk about. How great were the um, were the other you know traditional mirror universe races? The makeup that they did for the Andorians, eh, we had a little a little disagreement on on the Tellarites, but um, dude, the Andorians' little antennae wiggled. 
<laughs> it was just like a split Wait, little moment, they, and I loved it. They wiggled so, in. They wiggled in Enterprise. Yeah. Trans antenna I just, wiggled. I loved them. I loved it. I never watched Enterprise. I, I'm sorry, but Ken has never seen uh, Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> remember? Now that is a dirty, filthy lie. No, I have, but it's I, it's I haven't seen Enterprise. To be fair, but I loved it. I loved it. I thought they were great. Hats off to the makeup team and the visual effects team for for all of that because it it turned out really well. My only regret with this episode is that I, I feel like there isn't anywhere near enough time to talk about it in the show. There were so many fantastic performances. We didn't even talk about Lorca's performance, I, which I just thought was was a, a brilliant and a wonderful performance from Jason Isaacs. We didn't really talk about the whole Tilly and Stamets. Uh, there's, there's just too much this episode. I think it was fantastic, and they, they, they hit it out of the park. You know when we did talk about it? In on screen, available to our patrons at the $10 a month subscription level. And with that, not only was Kenna able to join us for the first part of it, but we also had our Vera, Tony, James, and myself. For more information, visit patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 349's community question was, Will an integration into Amazon's ecosystem entice you to subscribe to CBS All Access? From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Chiu Umiko says, I am already subscribed to CBS All Access, hashtag P1 signup, but I began to think about what you said, Elijah, because I am too not happy with the interface. But I don't have Amazon either, so I think I'd rather keep my CBS All Access interface versus the Amazon one. But I love that there are two ways now for people to do this. From Facebook, James Sillette says, No, I'm not going to have another monthly bill for one show. Nothing else on All Access is anything I'd watch for free because I already did. It doesn't bring enough to the table. You know what I wish they would add to CBS All Access? The Carol Burnett Show. Because that was a CBS-produced show. They have the 50th anniversary, but they don't have the back catalog of The Carol Burnett Show. They don't have the back catalog of anything on CBS well, no, they've got No, they do. They've got Twilight Zone. They've got a few things. They've got a okay. few. But they need, first of all, there are two things that they certainly need to do. One is, like, TNG, high definition. I mean, come on. Netflix is doing it. Like, get on the ball. Uh, number two, add the Carol Burnett show. And then I'll, I'll finally be at ease. Here's a question. Uh, sorry, slight tangent. How can they not have the back catalog of The Big Bang Theory on CBS All Access? It's like their biggest show ever. And you can only get the current season. My guess is because of deals that they cut with other streaming providers. Um, I think... I th- yeah, it... I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I discovered that because I was looking for... I don't watch The Big Bang Theory. I'm sorry. But I discovered it because I was looking for that one episode that Will Wheaton was in where he shouted something mean because he turned up at the Star Wars premiere in a Star Trek uniform in the episode. Um, Live long and suck it. I was looking for that episode, but I couldn't find it because they don't have it on CBS All Access. <laughs> Speaking of Will Wheaton, another slight tangent... If you are a fan of reading, even if you're not a fan of reading, but you love pop culture, you love video games, you love the 80s and 90s, download the audiobook for Ready Player One or pick up the book and read it. Will Wheaton is the narrator for Ready Player One, and he does a spectacular job. I had first started reading it on on the flight to California uh, and I fell asleep and I, I thought it was because of Will Wheaton but then but then somebody really recommended somebody's like no stick with it and and watch Will Wheaton starts using his voice he starts to make up voices and and gets really into it and I had a long drive this weekend and I could I I didn't want to stop I didn't want to stop driving I would have either kept going through to Canada or kept driving south to Florida just to finish the book so I, I highly recommend it just, just for this plug. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, uh, an affiliate link in the show notes for Amazon.com if you're interested in purchasing it or uh, grabbing it from audible.com. 
From Twitter, at PoisonFox says, I cancelled CBS All Access and will be using Prime once my sub goes away to watch the last two episodes. The Xbox app finally works better than the first half, but the Android app is terrible. From Twitter, Drogan says, I've been considering switching. I use Amazon a lot and its quality tends to be superior to what I've experienced through CBS's own app. See, I use Amazon a lot as well, but I still am going to stick with CBS one. I don't know why. I, I just, I feel, I've gone to the trouble of downloading it. <laughs> but I don't understand the channels within Amazon. I'll be honest with you. Maybe I'm showing my age, but I just don't quite get it. I would rather have a standalone and, and do it that way. I, I can't comment on any of this because I, we don't get CBS All Access over here, so yeah, whatever. Oh yeah, it's just Netflix for you, isn't it? Yeah. Now baby. I wonder. I wonder if you would get it through Amazon Prime, though. That's probably a good point. I do not know. This week's Tyler Tuesday winner is our very own Brandon Parker. Replying to Twitter, one of these people has a dress that has space on it. The other is Kenna. <laughs> That's a little play on words there because it's a picture of me and Laura Milroy who was dressed up as, oh, what's her name, uh, from What a Little Girl's Made Of in the, the green and blue jumpsuit that's very cut out. <laughs> it's very revealing. And I was wearing my big um, uh, cards painting maxi dress. Yeah, so uh, it's the it's a, it's a play on words, a dress that has space on it because it's just it's full of cutouts. Yeah, so. I actually seen this replay. I thought it was very uh, very good, and uh, I got a good giggle out of it. And of course, we once again took to Twitter as well for our weekly survey Sunday. How do you feel about Star Trek Discovery heading to the Mirror Universe? And out of 28 votes, 82% said love it. Hashtag 80s slow clap. 11% said, too soon, hashtag too soon to lick boots. And 7% said, not happy, hashtag clean shave forever. Well, that wraps up episode 350 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. What episode of The Next Generation do you think is strong enough to be a story arc on its own? And what part of the 8th anniversary event are you most looking forward to in Star Trek Online? Is it the Omega minigame? The party popper? And maybe it's the new ship? Let us know. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel where we review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as highlighting some of the amazing members in the Armada. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and uh, lithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by you, captains. It's brought to you by you via patreon.com. To find out how you can support Priority One Podcast on a monthly basis, visit patreon.com forward slash priority one. Each week, we offer some new content for you to download exclusively to our patrons. Now, captains, even if you can't make a financial contribution, there's another way that you can support this show, and that's by sharing it with your friends or giving it a review wherever you receive your podcasts, like iTunes or the podcast app. It's your support, captains, that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Now with a brand new format, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And our latest endeavor, Heroes Rise, brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, 
with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, along with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. And thanks again to Jake Morgan for spearheading our social media endeavors, especially those Title It Thursdays and awesome Survey Sundays. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producer, Navy Boats Lou. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible for 350 episodes. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. to receive <laughs> that was <all> hilarious <laughs> it, was, it was cartoon the shrimp the shrimp the shrimp, shrimp trait, trait. <laughs> mm. does anybody have any idea what the f this thing does because I don't know because the blog doesn't really go into it it sings it just sings. It just it's recordings of us singing. During the new featured episode, Sia and Charibdis. Scylla, Scylla, and Charybdis. I'm so glad I didn't have to pronounce that. By Vox references to Kalesh and attacks him. Burnham with mirrors. Sorry, how did you pronounce that? Yeah, do you want to go back on that? Kalesh. Did you pronounce it? Kurlash. Kurlash. The hands off to the, uh, or hands off? Is it hands off? Hats. Hats. Take my hands off. Hats off. Hats off. <laughs> Take my hand off. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Okay. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes my American colloquialisms, I forget. And the, I have to translate in my head and it's hats off, round of applause, give a hand, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that was terrible. I apologize to everyone involved. Okay, bye. <laughs>